0: looking forward this morning to taking the Lord's Supper with you. I I have uh, been in church all of my life and taken lots of Lord's Supper and done lots of Lord's Supper services. I've done the Lord's Supper quite a bit and I'm saddened uh, to be very honest with you with some of that because there, there is a, there is a, a, a reverence. There is a, uh, Respect that is appropriate. There is a there is even a a soul searching that's appropriate as a part of that, that's even scriptural. But what I'm afraid of is so many of the times I've taken the Lord's Supper, it has ceased to be a celebration. It's very somber, it's very serious, it's very heavy, it's very sad. It becomes like a funeral. And the good news is this morning, um, what Jesus did on the cross, He only had to do it once. He's not about to have to go die on the cross again, so we get to celebrate that this morning. But before we do, let's, let's jump in here to John chapter 19, because one of the things I'm afraid of, maybe the reason why the Lord's Supper can be so serious, so somber, so even so depressing is maybe we really don't understand what we're celebrating, or or maybe we haven't grasped fully the weight of what that really means. And so I'm excited for us to look at that this morning. John chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 28. Jesus is on the cross. This is the final moments. And he's about to say something amazingly powerful. Verse 28. After this... Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar of sour wine stood there, so they put on a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed up his head, bowed his head, and gave up his spirit. When Jesus said, it is finished, what's he referring to? Was he talking about his life? No, because three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. His life wasn't over. Was he talking about maybe his, his ministry was over? No, because his ministry was going to continue through the believers, even after he was ascended back into heaven. What Jesus was saying, it is finished, is the work that the Father gave him to do was now completed as he prepared to die on the cross. It it is finished, he said, because that work was done. It was completed. It was over. And that that word, it's three words in English, but it's one word in the Greek. And this might become your most favorite word in the whole world. The, the word in the Greek is tetelestai. And let me tell you a little bit about that word. The first thing is it's in the perfect tense. Nobody gets a cookie for knowing that it's in the perfect tense and nobody really cares except for this. The idea that this word, it is finished, tetelestai, is in the perfect tense. It means that the action was completed in the past, but the results of that action carry on into the future up until the present. It was done back here, but it still is affecting what's taking place right now. That's really good. The other thing about that word is what would happen is it was actually a word that was used in financial circles. And some of you can relate to this if you've ever paid off a car loan or something like that. The, the idea was you've made all these payments, you, you, you've done all of that, and, and finally, they would, after all of the debt was finally paid, they would take a stamp and on that parchment or on that document, they would stamp it to telesty, And what that means is paid in full. Oh, this this is going to get good. This is exciting. If you've lived the life that I've lived, and if you've lived the life that some of you have lived, oh, this is good. This is good to know that it's paid in full. One of my favorite dead theologians said it this way, the general religion of mankind is due. It's always about what you got to do. It's what you got to do. It's what you got to, got to do this, got to take this action, got to be served here. Do the general action of mankind is due, but the religion of the true Christian is done. It is finished, is the believer's conquering word. Okay, what does that mean? It is finished, paid in full. We start to grasp that. We start to understand that. But but let's talk about how that really plays out in our lives and why that really matters and what we're celebrating today. Turn over with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, starting in verse 11. Let's look at what this means. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." Here we go again. That's not perfect tense. That's present tense. Here's what that means. That means that right now, if you are in Christ, if you have accepted and received what Jesus did for you on the cross, if you are in Christ and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that right now, as I say this, present tense, you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, all of your sins, past, present, and future, Jesus took that and said, paid in full. It's all done. We have right now the forgiveness of sins. Present tense. Now, now of course, you, you, you want to start thinking, out, Now, you mean, of course, by that saying that, that, that when you confess your sins, you're forgiven. No, that's not what I mean by that. That's not what I mean by that at all. And here's where the some of the confusion comes in. First John 1, 9. Great verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Great verse. Here's the problem. Let me explain a little bit about that. That's not a sanctification verse. That's a salvation verse. The context of that was written in an area of great Gnosticism where the idea was, and not that anybody believes this today, but the Gnostic belief was, well, that we really haven't sinned. The, the Gnostic belief was, you know, that 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 we're we're really okay, we're just looking for this enlightenment, but, but what we've actually done doesn't really matter, so we haven't actually sinned. First John one nine is not so much to say that as a Christian, as somebody who has redemption, the forgiveness of sins right now, it's not written so much to say that in order at this point to receive God's forgiveness, you've got to go one by one and confess your sins to God, and it is at that point that you receive forgiveness. We're saying that that is already paid in full. Let me show you the greater context of 1 John 1, 9, just to try to clear up some confusion, because it's not something that we need to always ask for forgiveness and ask God to do what he's already done. Let's look at the greater context of that. 1 John, look at verse 8 before verse 9, and then we'll look at verse 10 after that, where it says this. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If any of us say that we don't have sin, well, we just sinned because we just told a lie because we've all sinned. So that automatically disqualifies it right there. But none of us are saying, well, that doesn't apply to me because I haven't sinned. If, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, then he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, again, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The context of that is for people who believe that they haven't sinned, that there really isn't this debt that they have. He's holding out hope to them to say, you have to confess your sin. You have to put your trust in Jesus because basically just being a good person is not going to cut it with God. But here's why I say all that, and here's why that's very confusing. And this is what can happen. We we start to develop this idea that if it's always about, well, I sinned and then I confess my sin to get God's forgiveness and all that type of thing, then here's what happens. And maybe this has been your experience. What I've got right here is a list. I've got a list of Amy's sins. I got yeah. There's a lot of pages here. Now, this this is the list mentality. This is I sin, I confess, I get forgiveness. I sin, I okay. Here's what happens with that. Well, let me, let me see here, Amy. Um, we're just I, I'm looking over the list here, and and um, okay, you you did that, but you asked for forgiveness, so good good job. We'll cross that one out. We don't have to worry about that one anymore. Okay, good good. Okay, and that one okay, you confess that one so good and okay, but we we've we've got some problems here, Amy. There, there's one right here. I I I don't think you were really that sorry about that one. <laughs> so we're going to we're just going to leave that on here, okay? Well, that one, I, yeah, I remember that sin too, but but she, she was praying and asking forgiveness, and she fell asleep during that prayer. So you get half credit for that one. Here, here's where we really have a problem, Amy. Because as I go through the list here, I, I've got you down for that sin 38 times. We've got a problem. Because, Amy, you've only confessed that one 35 times. So you've got, you got three strikes against you on here still. Good grief. I know you don't realize this, but there's there's a whole lot of stuff and um, on here that you you've sinned, but you forgot about it, so you haven't confessed those either. So they're, they're still on here. I'm I'm still keeping track. So if you have some memory that you did that or said that or whatever, then it's still on here, and I haven't forgotten about it. Oh, and and by the way, um, there's others that you don't even know about yet. I my Holy Spirit hasn't convicted you of that, so you don't even know about it it's you know it's just going to be something as you move closer to the lord you'll you'll hear about but it it's still on the list oh and um, by the way what what we've covered so far that only that's only talking about your actions we haven't got into attitudes or motives or anything like that yet so those are all still on here ever felt like that like God standing up there with his reading glasses and he's keeping track and, you know, um, eh, you confess that one, okay, that's fine. But we've, we've still, your confession isn't even quite good enough. The truth is, you might even need to repent for your repentance for your sins. And, and please understand when I say this, I'm not saying we don't need to confess our sins But confession isn't about whether we're forgiven or not. Confession isn't about being forgiven. It's about experiencing that forgiveness. Because here's the thing, and this is why this is really good. This is why it's so important that we understand that it's paid in full, that we're fully forgiven in Christ. Is because if we relate to God based on there's this list, and God's just kind of, okay, well... Yeah, all right. We'll cross that one off. But what about all the stuff you missed? What about all the stuff you don't know about? What about all the stuff that you forgot about? What about all the stuff? See, the problem is if there's a list that's still there, what about all that stuff that you failed to confess? Let me show you this. Turn over one chapter, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. The Bible says this, "And you, Who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. It's done. But it gets even better than that. Verse 14, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, the the record of debt, the, the list, all that, God canceled that. Having set with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You you might think that God's keeping a list. You might think that God's keeping track, that, that you got to confess this one in order to receive forgiveness, that, that you have to mention this specifically in God in order to receive forgiveness. There's a great reason to confess. There's a great reason to confess, to to repent. But God's God's not keeping a list. God's not keeping track and waiting for you to repent of that one in order for you to, to receive his forgiveness. He canceled the written debt and he went over here and he took Amy's sin just like this and he threw it out the door and we are done with that now. It is paid in full. Some of you still deal with, you know, I confess that And I ask God to forgive me. As a matter of fact, I've done it a hundred times. And I still feel the shame. I still feel the guilt. I still feel the fear that God at any moment is just going to have enough of me and squash me like a bug. I still feel guilty. But God's word says. Paid in full. God's Word said that Jesus took the record of debt that was written against you and He nailed it to the cross. When He died, your sin died with Him. And if you're feeling, if you're experiencing that fear and that shame and that guilt, guess where that's coming from? Because it's not coming from God. Paid in full. You are forgiven. Jesus Paid it all, you know, and we could stop there, and that would be wonderful. And it is wonderful to know Romans eight one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But wait," said the game show host. "There's more. Not the game show host, the the infomercial guy. Oh, there's more." You don't just have a clean slate. That would make you morally neutral. It doesn't make you righteous. Just because the slate's been wiped clean, oh, it's even better than that. It's, it's, then then it would just be, okay, now, now you're forgiven completely and you've got a clean slate, but now it's up to you to be righteous. It's up to you to live this life. It's up to you to live this out because after all, Jesus has forgiven you for everything and that's wonderful Oh, but it gets better. Now, think about something with me this morning. Maybe that you've never thought about before. We we know that Jesus came to die for our sins and to rise from the dead. We understand why Jesus died. We understand why Jesus rose from the dead. But think about it. That could have been accomplished over the weekend. I mean, you can picture the the father coming to the son and saying, um, okay, we're going to do this redemption thing for everybody. And um, we're going to need you to step out of heaven on a Friday, but don't worry about it. You can be back on Sunday. It's going to be really hard, but it's just for three days. Because if you think about it, that's what Jesus came to do. Why couldn't that be accomplished in three days? He did it over the weekend. And everything that was in his life was preparing, was leading up to that. Jesus, we know why Jesus died and rose again. The question is, why did Jesus live? What was the 33 years about? Why why did he have to do this over a 33-year period? Why did he have to be born? Why did he have to be a 7th grader at one point? Why did he have to be 25 years old at one point? Why did he have to prepare for 30 years to do a 3-year ministry? I think we get a hint of that. I think we get a clue of that. This is in Matthew chapter 3, and there's a very important phrase that's here. You'll remember that the, the scene was this. Jesus was about to begin his ministry and he came to John the Baptist and asked John the Baptist to baptize him. And John the Baptist is no way. How can I baptize you? Jesus gives an amazing response, Matthew three thirteen through 15, that Jesus came from Galilee, Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized you, by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us, and here's the phrase, to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. What is that talking about? Why why would Jesus have to come and fulfill all righteousness? And why does that matter? Because here's what happened. Look with me, turn over real quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 21. You've seen this before. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Brad, if you'll come on up here. Here's what the Scripture says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might become the righteousness of God. I, I've picked on Amy, so now I want to pick on Brad a little bit. But let's just say, for instance, that, that Brad... Is Jesus, and he's lived Jesus' life. And for everything that that was great that Jesus did, we're going to give Brad a gold star. So it it started very early on. You know, um, Jesus was always obedient to his parents. Great job. And then um, Jesus would would always be familiar with the scripture and be able to challenge the people, and so he gets another star for that. And then you know later on he's going to grow up, and there's not going to be any issue with with you know girlfriend problems and lust and all that stuff. So he gets another star for that. And then later on Jesus is going to just be humble and and stay under his 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 dad and working in the carpenter shop. So he gets a star for that. And then on and on it goes because Jesus is going to do miracles. Jesus is going to be patient with the disciples, which probably ought to be another star for that one. I mean, on and on and on it goes and everything that Jesus does, everything that Jesus says, the fact that he's totally sinless, completely righteous and all of the things that he does and the stars are falling off everywhere, but all of the things he does, he gets this star for and they're still falling everywhere. But here's the deal. Pretty soon, Jesus is just covered with all of these awards and all of these medals and all of these trophies and all of these prizes because he lives such a sinless person perfect, righteous life. But here's the thing. What happens is all of these stars, all of these awards, all of these medals, all of these trophies don't just sit on Jesus. They get transferred into your account so that Brad never has to stand before God in his own righteousness. Look at it right here. He stands in Jesus's righteousness, not his own. Thank you. Jesus lived for 33 years and did all that he did and said all that he said. Never send all of that kind of thing to fulfill all righteousness because God made him who had no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's better than just having a clean slate. It's better than just having a clean record because here's what Jesus did. He took your clean slate after he took all of your sins away and he wrote his record on top of your clean slate so that when the Father looks at you and looks at me, we don't stand in our own righteousness. We stand in the righteousness of his Son. That God treated Jesus as if he had lived your life in my life, so that God could treat us as if we had lived his. If you're in Christ this morning, you stand righteous, not just innocent, not just forgiven, but standing in the very righteousness of Jesus that was transferred into your account. There's an old evangelist. The young man came up to this man and he said, "What?" and he knew he was an evangelist, and he said, what must I do to be saved? And the evangelist responded, it's too late. Oh, no. What do you mean it's too late? It's too late. What must I do to be saved? There's nothing you can do. It's too late. And the young man became alarmed and he asked, do you mean it's too late for me to be saved? Is there nothing I can do? There's religion again for you. Is there nothing I can do? The evangelist responded, too late. It's already been done. All you have to do is believe it. This morning, in a few minutes, as we get ready to celebrate and celebrate the Lord's Supper, we was sitting there thinking about the soldiers and the price that they paid and the and the sacrifices that they made for us so that we can walk in freedom. So that we can enjoy the freedom that we have. Jesus came and died for us. What a tragedy it would be. If, if we didn't walk in the freedom that those soldiers bought for us, what an even more of a tragedy it would be if what Jesus accomplished for us, once and for all, paid in full on the cross, we didn't walk in the freedom and the joy of that. And all of the time, We were being harassed by the enemy all of the time. We were living in fear and shame and guilt because of something that we've done that he took care of a long time ago on the cross. What do we do for those soldiers that paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we can live in freedom? We appreciate what they did and we walk in the freedom that their lives bought for us. How much more it is with Jesus that we get to walk in freedom. We get to walk in newness of life, not just forgiven, but made totally righteous in Christ. Let's pray together.